Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome to Revive the Drive. My name is Daniel Bennett. I'm joined by Art Georges and Rich Burkle, and it's just a great joy to be able to talk with you about different issues in, in theology and in life and, and try to revive our drive, uh, be good stewards of our time. Hey, do you know when we started this, I was actually trying to have it named Redeem the Drive because of redeeming the time from Scripture. I, but d- I didn't, didn't make it, right, because your wife renamed it? Hey, I, th- I think my wife is brilliant. I think she did a wonderful job accidentally naming Revive the Drive. <laughs> That's right. She's got her <laughs> fingerprints all over it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So um, I, I, I like to tease her about um, anytime she mentions something in the church, like, hey, what about – I'm like, it's done. It's done. <laughs> you've, spo- you've spoken. I will make sure that as the puppet, I get this done for you. <laughs> no, she's uh, she's very sweet. She likes to revive the drive, and uh, we're, today we're talking about the Great Tribulation and – Sometimes people talk about tribulations they're going through or or uh, t- times of, of difficulty, and yet uh, all times of trouble that have been experienced in the world to date uh, pale in comparison with the, the great tribulation. And so, uh, Rich and Art, what I thought I'd do is just kind of ask you guys some questions about, about the tribulation. And, and the first question would just be very broad strokes what is the tribulation? When we're talking about prophetic events and things that are going to take place in the future and someone says, well, when the tribulation happens, da 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 when someone uses that word tribulation, what, what are they referring to? Well, scripturally, they're referring to what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble, time uh, referenced by Jeremiah 30, verse 7, uh, as uh, a time that I, I believe is, is consistent with Daniel's 70th week. It is a time when God um, deals with Israel in order to, uh, to, to essentially bring in the fullness of his blessing on Israel after judging uh, Israel and, and bringing them to faith. Hey, before you go on, Art, you said Daniel's 70th week. What does that mean, Not, Daniel's 70th yeah, week? Yeah, Jacob's 70th week, or Daniel's 70th week, I'm sorry, uh, referring to the book of Daniel, the Old Testament prophet. Uh, he had a prophecy was given him, uh, which consisted of 70 weeks that, that were appointed for Daniel's people, Israel, and Daniel's city, which was Jerusalem. Yeah, Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a, a most holy place. He talks about the uh, 62 weeks in verse 25, and then it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an appointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The people of the prince used to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So 
Sorry, I interrupted so, you. So, right. So uh, you just mentioned the first 69 weeks, okay? And in the 70th uh, week, which has yet to occur, uh, it is a time when the <coughs> prince of the people who destroyed the city, which was Rome in 70 AD, uh, the prince who is to come makes a covenant with Israel for a week. And a uh, week in the context of that prophecy is seven years, a week of years. And what do we see happening during that during that that seven year period of of tribulation? Um, this is a time of of God's wrath, really, upon the nations, as well as a time of preparation for His own people. Um, uh, when Daniel talked about these seventy weeks, um, there was no indication that there was a big gap between the sixty ninth week and the seventieth week in the Old Testament. So the, the first 69 weeks of his prophecy related to the time when uh, the people would uh, go to the holy city and, and, and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple to the time when uh, there would come one who would atone for iniquity. And so it's interesting because, you know, it's kind of mathematically uh, interesting to look at that particular prophecy specifically, but... It was 69 weeks of years in between uh, those two historical events, events that already took place. Um, and so when, when Christ made atonement for sin uh, in 33 AD or thereabouts, um, there was an expectation that the 70th week would occur, uh, a, a time in, in which uh, there would be trouble followed by a uh, time of, of glory. And yet there's this huge gap between the first coming of Christ um, at, uh, in Bethlehem, and this next coming of Christ in judgment. And so, so that's what the New Testament kind of reveals, and that, that's why it's kind of hard for us to get our arms around some of these ideas and these terms. But, but uh, uh, the time of the 70th week is, is a seven-year period. Uh, that's why it's called a week. It's a week of years, uh, so seven years. Um, and it is yet ahead of us, uh, and it's a time in which we uh, anticipate God's wrath coming upon the earth. And so we see that, for instance, best described in in Revelation chapter six through through eighteen. Art referred to Jeremiah thirty seven, and Jeremiah thirty seven earlier says that that day is so great there is none like it. Isaiah 24 says, The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls and will not rise again. It's really remarkable how many kinds of descriptions in the Old Testament there are of this day. Um, Zephaniah 1, That will be a great day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. I will bring distress in the people, and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Mm. And it goes on to describe that. You know, it's, it's a horrible, awful day of wrath. There have been several times in Scripture that, that the Old Testament refers to the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, and, and there's sometimes these little mini days of the Lord, but but this is something that, that all those others are just kind of shadows of, right? This is something far beyond anything we've ever experienced. That's right. Jesus says that there's never been nor will there be a time as difficult as this. 
Yeah, I, I even like Amos's description. It's kind of interesting. Again, how many? There's so many descriptions in the Old Testament of this day, but he says this day will be a day of darkness, not light. And he says it will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, hmm. as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without any ray of brightness? And so you get this picture of this guy, you know, being run down by a lion. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? And he finally thinks he's a little <laughs> has some breathing room, he's safe, only to find himself a bear's right there to attack him. You know, or finally he gets into a house and shuts you know, the he door. Breathes, he shuts the door. He lays his hand against the against the wall and a snake bites him. You know, yeah. he says that's that's the kind that is just an adrenaline pumping kind of. Of yeah. period of time when there's just one calamity after another after another. Okay, so then here's my next question: uh, Why? You know, why would God do this? What, what's the purpose behind having a seven year period in which His wrath is being poured out? What, what, what's He doing? Well, one of the things that He's doing is He is again returning His attention to the nation of Israel, His uh, covenant people uh, from. Uh, what we think of in terms of the Old Testament times, uh, and he is returning after uh, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in to uh, now turn his attention to Israel to not only judge Israel, but also there's a great blessing, great outpouring of his grace as he awakens Israel. Uh, Much of Israel at that time then is saved, as uh, Zechariah says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn as one mourns for an only son. And so God opens up, as Zechariah says, a fountain of supplication for Israel. And so not only is he judging national Israel, but he's also redeeming Israel. Yeah, in, in um, Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says, when, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you'll return to the Lord your God and you'll obey him. And the idea is that, is that God is preparing the Jewish nation for a national salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, we see that in the tribulation, it's not only a time of, of God's wrath, but uh, we see Satan's wrath really responding against Israel in particular, trying, mm-hmm. to, trying to drive them into oblivion. And it's through that time that the whole nation then returns uh, to the Lord and, and is redeemed um, by the Lord. Uh, and and it's a fulfillment of his promise to his nation that he is going to bring about them as, as a blessed people and bring salvation to them. So that's one of the aspects. But another aspect is a judgment upon uh, Gentile nations um, that, uh, you know, I think Isaiah 34 says, the Lord is angry with all nations, his wrath upon all their armies. He will totally destroy them and will give them over to slaughter. And so uh, there's this idea that that, the four nations that have risen up against God and have shaken their fist against God will finally uh, come to an end. And, you know, we see this uh, in different periods throughout church history where we we as, as believers or as God's people ask, well, Lord, what are you doing? How come you're allowing— How long? Like, like the Nazi regime, how, how could you allow this to happen? Or the Stalinist regime, or, you know, we, we could go on— uh, over and over, and find examples of this. So, how? Why do you allow nations to shake their fist at you? And and the answer is because it's God's patient. He's allowing time for nations and individuals to turn to Him. But there's a time when 
uh, his patience will be done and it's time for justice. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the amazing things during that time we read in the book of Revelation that uh, uh, even as God is calling men to repent, even from a gospel proclaimed uh, from the mid-heavens in Revelation 14, that it says that men are shaking their fist at him and crying for the rocks to to fall on them instead of repenting. Yeah. So it just underscores the right righteousness of God to judge that rebellion. We think, okay, well, if God would only reveal himself, perhaps they would have repented. No. They understand the the source of the wrath. Absolutely. At the greatest uh, revelation of his grace in the midst of that judgment, they are unwilling to repent unless he draws them. Yeah, and what you see and along with that are uh, God's mercy is still being extended in the day of, uh, of tribulation. There's still opportunity in that time to receive God's mercy. Now, people seem to harden their heart like Pharaoh did underneath his right. judgment. But, but uh, you know, Revelation 7 uh, talks about God setting aside 144,000 Jewish people. Um, and I, I believe these are witnesses to God's mercy during this uh, time uh, because after, in Revelation 7, God describes these 144,000 in verses 9 through 17 of Revelation 7, we, we see an uh, unnumbered multitude of, of, of Gentiles uh, who, who uh, seem to, to, be, to follow Christ. Yeah, and I do appreciate the question, Daniel, because we, we get it often. We even get it from our little ones, don't we, our children, when they're wondering why God would judge. And, and so uh, we see in Second Thessalonians the hardness of the human heart uh, it says, for this reason, God will send, and I believe it's during this period of time we're talking about, upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So I take it you guys are saying that the the tribulation, although it is a sign of God's wrath, and it's, it's God's wrath poured out on on the nations, there's there's no one that's exempt from this. That's that's here at the time. Uh, Revelation sixteen one says, "Go and pour out the on earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God." And Revelation eleven eighteen talks about the nations raging, but your wrath came. So even though this is a time of God's wrath and it's being poured out on the nations, and there's this global aspect, you're saying that even in this time, God's mercy and love are. Are also being demonstrated simultaneously. Yeah, I think it's the last preparation of uh, of, of God for His people to come to faith in Him, mm-hmm. and uh, and so and, and God makes provision for that in the in the time of great uh, tribulation. Yeah, so that salvation is uh, is known not only by Israel but also uh, by Gentiles in, in the nations. God's Grace is being poured out in the midst of his judgment. What a what a glorious God. I think that's right. And you, you, Rich, you mentioned that the section of Revelation that we see the tribulation, and it's just chapter after chapter after chapter of, of wrath and destruction and, and judgment and people hardening their hearts and God's judgment and, and Satan's wrath. Then you see in Revelation 20 the millennial kingdom, and we'll talk about that in a future Revive the Drive. But it's interesting. After all these things have happened, the thousand years have been ended. God's, God's mercy has been on display. And it says in verse 8 that 
that uh, Satan is released from his prison, he'll come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. So here, here they are. <laughs> they, they've had all this opportunity to repent. They've experienced a thousand years of God's perfect reign. They rebel again. And then the last part of verse 9 is kind of anticlimactic in some ways. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. That's it. It's over. You know? And so all these other judgments of God were really foretastes of, of, of the end, the final judgment. And, mm-hmm. and there's, this, the next, there's the resurrection of the dead until eternal judgment. So even in God's wrath, you see this, this holding back in some mm-hmm. way. Even the time of the greatest wrath that's been experienced, the greatest tribulation that's ever been experienced, you see, you see God's mercy. Hmm. What are some... What are some practical effects then of this, of this understanding the the tribulation? Why is it a good thing to know about and to think about? And it's probably different for different mm-hmm. groups of people that are maybe listening to us. Yeah. Well, one of them is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, we we have uh, often diluted uh, the person of God to such an extent that. Uh, when we read these words, we, we think, well, that's that's not God. I refuse to accept that that's God. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, God is holy. He's righteous. He's just. He, he will put an end to sin and to wickedness and to rebellion. He has a, a great passion for his glory. He has a great hatred of sin. And and so these, uh, these passages are very sobering. It's mu- very much like the doctrine of hell, which, which does come up at the end of Revelation as well. So this um, this protects us from idolatry. Thing. Sure. It's hard to practice idolatry if, if you're studying the tribulation and understanding the character of God and its facets that are displayed even in, the, in his wrath. Yeah. And it keeps us from thinking, well, you know, God, uh, because he loves me so much, he thinks lightly of my sin. And mm-hmm. so it's a small thing to him. It's a small thing to me. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, and it, it motivates us then also not only toward holiness and to fear God, have a reverence, a respect, a, 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 a healthy trembling before him, but it motivates us also, I think, to say, I, I need to share the gospel. I, I don't want anyone that I love to, to endure this. Um, and uh, uh, I need to share the mercy of grace to let people know how they might escape from this from this uh, this judgment, this justice that that God will present to anyone who doesn't uh, have salvation or mercy through Christ. Yeah, I believe it also helps us to keep our uh, um, affections for uh, the nation that God uh, will return His attention to at this point in time, Israel. Uh, we wouldn't uh, jump to the conclusion that God has uh, forgotten or forsaken His covenant people. Israel, but rather he uh, will return and and restore them, and so it causes us to have compassion and and uh, not fall into the error that many have fallen into of anti-Semitism because of them being the nation that crucified their Savior, our Savior. So uh, we value national Israel. So it's it's a good thing because it causes us to to share the gospel. It causes us to have a right view of of God. It causes us to be a part of His plan as opposed to rejecting it. it I think if if a person is listening to this and is not a believer, it, it causes them to 
to rightly understand God and, and to hopefully understand the, the value of of the gospel, because even as, as great as the wrath of God is in the tribulation, it, it pales into his, his in comparison to his wrath in eternity. And mm-hmm. so a person has the opportunity to be saved from uh, God's wrath through what Christ has suffered, to bearing that wrath for us. I, I think there's also something, we've talked about this before on other sessions of Revive the Drive, but I think there's something satisfying about seeing evil punished. And it's, it's obviously wrong to rejoice in other people's suffering for the, for the suffering's sake. Like we don't want to just, well, I'm so glad that evil people are having bad things happen to them, but we're glad that bad things ha- happen to evil people in the sense that, that righteousness is established and wickedness is dealt with. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something satisfying and godly about that satisfaction. If it's, if it's experienced the right way. And I think it also is helpful for people who are, are persevering in the midst of, of other tribulations to, to mm-hmm. uh, press forward. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thanks, brothers. Helpful to, to think through this with you. I hope this is uh, encouraging to those who are, are thinking about the, the state of their soul, who are, are thinking about the state of the souls of, of those whom they love, and it would, would spur us to, to love and good deeds as we consider the, the character of God displayed in his wrath and in his deliverance from wrath through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. Mm. 